Rick Reinhardt, and welcome to the Minor Conversations podcast, where I'll offer a glimpse behind the game day experience in the Eastern League with candid discussions and interesting stories both on and off the field. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of this endeavor. If you like what you hear, do me a favor and spread the word. By the time you hear this, hopefully we'll be on iTunes where you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If you have any ideas for topics or people you want to hear from, get in touch with me on Twitter at Mayflies. Or the podcast has a Twitter account, too, at MinorConsPod. That would be M-I-N-O-R-C-O-N-V-S-P-O-D. Now, on to the show. As you enter Prince George's Stadium, home of the Bowie Bay Sox, you're greeted by a unique voice in minor league baseball. Last season, Adrian Robertson was one of two female public address announcers in affiliated baseball and the only one in the minors. 2018 will mark her 14th season manning the microphone for the Bay Sox. When I thought about starting this podcast to highlight people and stories in the Eastern League, Adrian was at the top of my wish list, so I'm happy she could join me. So happy, in fact, I made her the debut episode. We talked about her career path, her preparation for a game, the opportunities she's had over the last several years to be the PA announcer for some Baltimore Orioles games, and her place in the male-dominated world of baseball. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the first episode of the Minor Conversations podcast with my guest, Adrian Robertson. Thanks so much for joining me, Adrian. I'd like to start back to the beginning for you. When you were growing up, what did you want to be? Growing up, I wanted to be somewhere in the sports announcing world. I've always liked the sports and entertainment industry, and I wanted to follow my dream in that. My dad took me to Philadelphia Phillies baseball games as a kid, Eagles games. I grew up in the Philadelphia area and then lived mostly in the Northeast. And I just have always had a huge passion for sports. So, I mean, I like the voices of um, like Rick Dees, listening to him on the weekends and uh, Scooby-Doo characters and stuff like that. So I was always somewhere in the voice industry knowing that's what I wanted to do. And I know that when you went to college at the University of Tennessee, you changed your major to a broadcasting major once you got there. Yeah, I actually went in as a theater major, but I realized quite quickly that I didn't really fit into that theater mold and that I was more enjoying in front of the microphone and speeches and talking to people. But the acting part, I like a little bit of it, but not as it was a different world. And as I started taking some sports casting classes and becoming involved with the sports teams at the school, I realized I could combine both and switch from theater over to sports management. And while at Tennessee, you started working at the Knoxville Smokies. Yes. I, um, my junior, I believe it was actually my sophomore year of college, I started working there and I was actually a hostess uh, down at the bottom, uh, serving beer, running back and forth with like old fashioned milk crates because um, all the lower seated section people, you brought the beer to them. And at the time, the Channel 6 guy was the in-house announcer for the Knoxville Smokies. And one day he got called out to do a big story. And they knew that I was interested in the job and that I had communications background and I was currently on the radio. And I literally put down the beer and went up this rickety outside fire escape staircase that still scares me to death to this day, made it up there and started announcing. And then the Channel 6 guy was promoted and I was given the job for the next two years until I moved. Well, they obviously knew you from working there and they probably knew that you were interested in this position, but... Had they ever heard you before? I mean, up until that day, or was it just a matter where they were in that much of a pickle? 
I think they were in that much of a pickle. They knew I was on the air, so I'm sure they've heard me on the radio stations. But I, I believe they were in that much of a pickle because it was last minute, and they knew that I was I had wanted that job from the beginning. I applied for it when I started working there, but at the time there wasn't a job opening. So they knew it was something I was heavily interested in and capable of, but no, there was no pre-audition. There was no, let's see if she can really do what she says she can do. It was go upstairs and do it. And like you said, you were there for two years, so they obviously liked the job you did on that first day. <laughs> yeah, it was it was sink or swim, but I, I loved it. So your theater and broadcasting background, does that help you as a public address announcer in any way? I think it, it 100% does because theater relies a lot on the English courses and diction and pronunciation. So I really helped. I believe it helped me as far as how to project, how to talk, because um, it's so important, um, even just like not having different accents, not being distracting to the game just to give it the proper element. So I definitely feel that my theater classes, as far as just speaking quality, really did help me. I actually took a course in college called Applied Phonetics, and that was probably the best course I ever took. So after Knoxville, you worked in radio for the next seven, eight years across the U.S., and then you ended up in Maryland and got a job with the Bowie Basehawks, uh, but not as a public address announcer, instead as a camera operator. Right. Uh, when I moved here, I had noticed about 10 miles from my house was the Bowie Basehawks Stadium, and having worked in minor league for a couple years and really missed being in the industry, having just moved from Pennsylvania, I was traffic reporting in the morning and sports is what drives me. So I immediately went over and I applied. And of course, you know, there's only what, 36 minor league announcers, I believe, um, at this level. And, you know, when somebody has that job as I've had it for 15 years, it's not a job that normally comes open. So I expressed interest in it, but obviously it wasn't an available job. And I applied for camera operator because I took camera courses in uh, college and I know how to handle, I know my way around a camera and I know how to follow the game of baseball. So I, for the first season, was on the video camera, either in the dugout or the roaming camera. And then I sense a pattern here, but... I was in the right place, right, place, right time. Uh, the gentleman at the time, he couldn't uh, come in that day. And then he got promoted and the job became available. So same, it really... I can't stress it enough when kids these days don't want to do a lot of stuff. It's getting your foot in the door. It may not be the job that you want to do the rest of your life, but you've got to show that you're willing to learn, work your way from the bottom up, and just get your foot in the door so people know who you are and that you're willing to do other jobs. You're not always going to get your dream job right away. And you may never get your dream job, but you've got to try. Take us through a typical day for you for, say, a 635 Bay Sox game. On a typical day, I come to the ballpark, I get there about an hour early, I check in, and then I meet with the radio guy from the opposing team. He's the best guy to talk to because he rides the bus every day with these guys. And we run down the list from top to bottom, even names that I might assume. I go through each one with him, and I put my own phonetics next to each name so I'm ready to go. I go back to my seat. And then I go through the script for the day. The script is luckily, it's all on a computer for me. And I just go through in case there's any new ads or uh, new companies that we're working with. If they're on the concourse, if we have the table set up and they're giving away something, I'll usually go out and talk to those people directly and just get a feel for what they're looking for, what their, their product they're selling is. And then about 30 minutes before the game starts, we start our promos, welcoming people to the park, safeties. Um, we run some of our ads, uh, talk about upcoming events like date night at the ballpark or paint night at the ballpark. And then you get ready probably about 
10 minutes prior to game, we get in with lineups. Uh, we got the national anthem. I'm on a walkie-talkie with people on the field. It's exciting. It's fast. And every single night is different. So you touched on it there. Once the gate's open, you're on the microphone for the rest of the night. You said you have a script and a walkie-talkie there, but is someone in your ear or a producer standing nearby that helps you move the game along and keeps you uh, on track? I stick to the uh, script um, pretty tight, but we have a unique experience um, in some different ballparks or in a different room than the producer, but at the Bowie Bay Sox in particular, I'm actually seated in line with the head videographer, uh, the TV director, and the music guy is directly to the right of me. So we're actually, we don't even need to have headsets. I mean, the head TV director, he's got headsets and he talks to people on the field for their camera shots, but I can actually lean back and just talk to him. So it's really nice that we're all in the same room. So when I start talking about something, he can cue me and say, in 10 seconds, we're going to go from this ad and then you can cut into your outtake. So we really, it's nice that we can all communicate, especially with the music guy, because he needs to time certain songs with what I'm doing. Um, so it is a unique situation. We're all in the same room and can just talk at normal voice level. And I've been doing it so long that we really all work together and kind of because we're in sync, we really know what to expect. And the script is so laid out, you know, middle of the third inning, we're going to have this happening on the field. And you've only got a minute and 30 seconds to get everything done and the guys back off the field. <laughs> right. Especially now with the time clock. The, the time clock, you don't have, I mean, we run that and you have the umpire turning around looking at you more now because sometimes those batters, even though they have 20 more seconds and I'm supposed to be done talking, they're already in the box. And then you have to stop because once they're in the box, no more talking, but they might have just cut us off on the clock for 30 seconds, which was our time for our advertisers. So that time clock has really changed the game quite a bit. This might be the question people don't want to ask you, or maybe they do and just uh, get embarrassed by asking, but... While the rest of us can catch a bathroom break in between innings, you obviously don't have that luxury. What do you do about that? <laughs> um, there's many nights that um, luckily I can hold it for about seven, eight hours sometimes, which is horrible. But um, I'd say the worst case scenario, sometimes when we get in that 10th or 11th inning and I pray it's so bad that there's not going to be a pitching change. And if there's not a pitching change, I can stand at the end and wait for that third out to be called and race at top speed, go to the bathroom and be back before that next batter's up. Um, but <laughs> most times you just have to hold it. It's part of the job. The good news for you is if I remember Bowie correctly, the bathroom's fairly close. It, it is fairly close. I mean, like, I mean, it, I can get there in probably 10, 15 seconds, but you do have to stand like at the end because if I'm still seated and announcing that batter, and then I'm getting up and then moving and somebody gets in my way and I knock them down. It's like there isn't really isn't much time. Yes, it is in the same area that I'm at, but it's you've got to move fast. <laughs> Back in 2011, the Baltimore Orioles were looking for a public address announcer and you were one of the finalists. You didn't get the full time gig, but that Mother's Day they brought you and were a fill in that day. And since then, you've done it at least a dozen more times. Can you remember back to that first day and how nervous you were and and, and what kind of was going through your mind? Um, starting the week before, I started getting butterflies in my stomach and was pretty much a wreck. And like I said, I had been in the industry for over 20 years at that point, and I was still extremely nervous. Um, I got there probably an hour before I was supposed to be there, just, you know, make sure there was no traffic or anything went wrong. And then I sat in the parking lot and I went over um, the notes I had taken on the opposing team and our team and just any pronunciations or questions I had. 
and then I went in and got settled and I wouldn't say I felt comfortable to the third inning. I didn't have any mistakes or any problems, but I wasn't like enjoying the moment until the third inning. Cause that whole, just the pressure that, you know, you've got to get everything right the first time. And instead of 9,000 people, it's about 42,000 people. And it's just a whole, it's a whole different level. And in that scenario, the producers and the directors are all on another floor. So everything is through a headset. So I'm talking and they're also talking in my ear and they're talking to like 13 other camera guys. So you're not even even sure. Are they talking to me? Or are they talking to them? Did they make a mistake? And you're not, it's, it's a lot of things going on inside your head while you're talking, you're hearing a lot of voices and it's, it, it's a whole different world, but I loved it. And every time I go up there, I'm not as nervous as when I go, but I still get the butterflies each time. Cause it's just an amazing experience. Yeah, I was going to ask that, if you still get a case of the nerves or if you've reached some sort of comfort level in doing the games. It's definitely a comfort level. I enjoy every moment. I enjoy it from the very first time I opened the microphone at the very beginning of the game and doing lineups. I feel a lot more at ease with it and the way their routine is different from the Bay Sox, but I definitely still get butterflies. I met you all the way back in 2011, and I remember telling you at the time how great I thought it was to hear a woman's voice over the PA. And last year, you were the only female to do it in the minor leagues. Uh, one other uh, woman does it in the major leagues for the San Francisco Giants. But I just want to get your thoughts. Baseball can be very much a man's world, whether we're talking about front office or scouts or broadcasters. Has it crossed your mind how unique you are in this situation? Uh, it does and it doesn't. It's just I've always loved it. So it was never like, oh, I want to have that. Like It was more like I want to have that job. It never crossed my mind that pretty much no woman has done it. It's just, I love sports and I love talking and I love being on the air. So I feel that it all came together and I actually really enjoy working with men and everybody there loves the sport. So you're enjoying your time and you're all working together and I've made some very good friends through the industry. So it is different. Um, I, but I, I guess I really, I don't think about it as much. I just, I enjoy so much what I do. I don't, I don't let that get in the way online and with the anonymous world of that online community grants you, I'd assume you get a lot of criticism uh, directed there based solely on your gender. Absolutely. And I would get it, even if it weren't gender based, I would get it all the, I, you'd get it. Like, I mean, if I went to a church and you hear the priest talking, I'll be honest, I like hearing a male up there versus a female minister, but maybe that's just the way I was raised and grew up and what I'm used to. So there's always going to be somebody that just doesn't want to hear a female voice, but I'm not crackly. I'm not squeaky. I don't sound like a four-year-old or a helium balloon. I have a very steady voice and I don't, I give it a little um for the players, but I don't go over the top. So I think once people give me a chance and hear it, they realize it does work, but in any industry, in anything you do, there's always going to be people that don't like you. And yeah, there's been some mean tweets out there as I think anybody in this industry, you have to take the good with the bad and you tend to remember the bad over the good. Um, but you also have to remember where those people are coming from and what they're doing. They're not doing your job, so they're just going to pick on you. They want to be where you're at. You talked about those great radio voices you listened to growing up and how you wanted to be in that field. You have to realize there are girls that are coming to the game that might hear you and realize that there's a path for them in this game, that there's, there's a job that they can do, that baseball is inclusive to her. 20 years ago, that kind of a voice wasn't there for them. 
That's true. And it, it is really neat. We had a broadcasting company out of uh, Philadelphia last year come and take a tour of our stadium. And I would say there was about 35 people and only two were girls, but they were so excited and both of them had very good voices and knew so much about sports that you're starting to see a, a slight change come over. And it was it was really neat to see them being part of a group like that. Well, I think we touched on enough. I appreciate you joining us, Adrian. Sure. And you're going to come down to a game later this summer, maybe? Oh, absolutely. I'll be down. Okay, great. That wraps up the first episode of the Minor Conversations podcast. Join us again next time. 